I'm Phil America, artist and activist, and this is Conversations with Creativity. We're releasing the podcast through Love Extremist Radio. Each episode, we're going to spend about an hour talking to a different creative as an exploration into different forms of creativity, talking to everyone from artists to actors, directors to designers. It's meant to be casual, almost as if you're sitting in the living room with us. I'm Phil America, and this is Conversations with Creativity. is Conversations with Creativity. Before every interview, I give a little introduction, and today I want to do it a little bit different. Victor is somebody who is not only a very close friend of mine, but somebody who every time we talk, I'm inspired. And that goes without saying for a lot of the other people I've had on this show, but I do want to really think and put emphasis on the fact that everything this man says has changed the way I approach creativity. Victor and his wife Sarah started Raleigh Denim Workshop back in 2017 in their hometown of Raleigh Denim. And mind you, this is after them living all over the world and country and focusing on a whole bunch of different things and then finally deciding to go back home and work on creating the best gene they could. They were inducted in the CFDA, Council of Fashion Designers of America, in 2013. And the husband and wife duo learned the techniques of traditional American gene making through seeking out a series of informal apprenticeships with factory workers, pattern makers, mechanics, artists, and everything in between throughout their state. Raleigh Denim Workshop, their brand, continues to produce high-quality design, extremely well-made pairs of jeans that I'm like butcher trying to explain because he is focused on making the best pair of jeans you can make and that's how he approaches making anything. He's had his his jeans featured in everything from GQ to the New York Times to Vogue to Wallpaper Magazine and they're sold at high-end boutiques all across the world. He's collaborated with OMA, Patagonia, Kate Spade and a million other people. You've seen him at Art Balls in Miami, you've seen him you know, at different pop-ups around the country and he's currently also designing upholstery and furniture with Bernhardt Design for literally over a decade. So I'm excited to talk to him about how all those things fit together and about his process. Let's get into it. Let's go for it. Hey, brother. How are you living? Good. I mean, okay. How are you? I'm doing good, things considered. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, throughout this entire time, I've just steered away from having an entire conversation about the time we're in now and tried to focus on the time we've lived and the time we plan to live. So um, people are yeah. inundated with, with uh, enough news about what's going on, but at least we're, we're healthy. So far, so good. So far, so good. You know, so with this podcast, I've, you know, started, I started working on interviews and conversations around uh, different creatives and kind of the intersectionality of all of, all of these different creatives and their uh, and their art in general. And when I started to record the podcast, there was like literally three names that I wrote down as perfect subjects to talk about how that intersectionality influences their work. 
and you were one of them because that is literally <laughs> your mantra. You know, like you even just sent me, you even just sent me a, an email that you sent to a, to a store and I'm reading it. And it's like, it starts off talking about everything but jeans. Yeah. 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 I appreciate you. You making the time for this. Oh, dude. Thank you. I'm so grateful. And for your friendship, like forever, like the same, the same. Um, so with everybody, I've kind of ran through things chronologically. So, I mean, maybe not your your entire life, but your creative life is what I really want to talk about. So what what was the first creative thing you really remember doing and either getting praise for or feeling great about? And it, this this can be, you know, you scribbling on a piece of paper when you're a kid or, you know, your first professional creative endeavor. What, what Where was the start of creativity for you? Man, that's a good question. Um, my, my mom, both my mom and my dad are, are creative people like in their minds, uh, and in part of what they did, but like my, my dad worked for IBM and he was a programmer, which like when you get really deep into it is a very creative, like strategic, uh, brain process that like, I never thought of quote, creative um and you know in his off time he would build a deck or build a playground for us or he he would do these things and and maybe some of them were like also like business uh kind of creative business plans like it was like creativity in a way of a business plan where it was like he would buy a thing he would fix it up he would sell it so he could buy another thing fix it up sell it and like it was like campers for years every year he bought a camper he fixed it up he bought a bigger one he bought a better one as we grew um my mother um was a little bit more tactile like in a in a way that um i kind of maybe felt more early on um like she made jewelry and and i remember in middle school and high school that she would be making these things out of like paper and paint and epoxy and metal and and she would make them in our kitchen and then she rented a space at the mall at like the proper mall uh and she would sell them during the holidays like from thanksgiving to christmas and and do pretty well and it like had a pretty uh, profound effect on our family and it was like that moment where it was like not only is it the beauty of this thing that she's making, not only is it the beauty of a, a a design that my dad made, but it was like the way that those things affected our lives. And it was like, a, in a way, a means to an end. Like it was design, creativity, art. It was all of those things, like in a way that like made our lives better. Um, and that like, that's the thing that like I felt from as young as I could be where it wasn't. And, you know, like people say like, quote, that's entrepreneurship or that that's blah, 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 blah. But like, that's what art is to me is like, is about basically taking nothing and, and making something beautiful, making something meaningful, making something useful. Um, and, and my parents did that in different ways so like that's like the really the root of what i saw um 
and that was ingrained in me and I, I don't know why I don't know how but like I have a fire inside my belly inside my heart inside my head I mean that that you and I have connected on for a very long time where it's just like we need to be making doing presenting uh creating things that like at a volume that's like it's it's superhuman almost in a way it's like i mean i i remember hanging out with you years ago and we created more in one night than i had in an entire year and then that happened again the next year and that happened again the next year and it's like so so you know you you ask like where does that come from and what is my first memories like you know first memories are my parents uh and where does that end up and it's like in a very short amount of time i was like 10 12 11 i mean 10 11 12 13 years old to being like 16 17 18 years old and and at 16 i was creating in the same way that like you've seen and mm -hmm. in the same way that like i feel like the human that i was at 16 is the same wow. as the human that I am now. Like I would kind of hide out in my room and I would make 1000 things. And, and I was working at a, at an idea of like, okay, well, if 1% of these things is good, then I'm making progress. And right. that, like, I need to dig like a fucking miner. Like I need to like dig into the dirt, into the rock, into the stone. Like I know what gold looks like, but like, I don't know how to make gold. So I'm just going to keep digging. Right. And, and like, that's kind of where it came from for me was like this, this passion for, di for, for mining, for digging, for, um, like I, I, you know, you know, when you see like something awesome, when you see something amazing, when you see like something fantastic, it is obvious. There's no question. It's not like, oh, is that cool? Is that beautiful? Is that awesome? Is that art? Is that beautiful? Like, it just punches you in the face. And and I think I those of of not only your brand as a whole, but also your life as you. I mean, from the first moment I met you, I know I've known that you're on this kind of relentless mission to to find that gold, and it's it's like you're Raleigh Denim. The whole and we'll get to that later, but the whole the whole idea behind the brand was to make the perfect pair of jeans, and that was the same thing when you were making wine. That, that's that's been that's been you your whole life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just like a it's a pursuit of of beauty. It's a pursuit of craft. It's a pursuit of learning. It's a pursuit of education. And, you know, with the goal of, of beauty, of, quote, perfection, of, like, like I, I don't know or think that I'll actually make a perfect thing in my life. And in a way, like, I don't, <laughs> I kind of don't want to. Like, mm. the pursuit is... <laughs> is the dream it's like i wake up every single morning like and i want to make something beautiful and i want to mm. learn and i want to taste and i want to smell and i want to touch and i want to connect with different people with different materials with different processes and like 
I am here for the journey. Like, right. like I'm all in. And, and, and I know that I can't do everything and I know I won't be the best. And you everything. try to do it. It's just yeah. one thing I know about you is that you try to do everything. I'm going to go for it, right? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the things I've learned, I don't know, years and years ago, I was like, I want to connect with people that are older than me because they know more, because they're wiser, because they're smarter. And, and like, I think the root of what I've learned is that, that like, I should not be afraid and mm-hmm. that I should just go for the things and that like, and to be comfortable not being the best, not being the smartest, not being the most talented, not being the, da, 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 but just like to follow my heart and, mm-hmm. and to see where that goes. And I think that's like really like in the root of it is the thing that like, I feel like you and I connect on or connected on the first second I met you was like, I was like, fuck, like this dude just like wants to go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it's always for me, it's kind of exactly what you said where it's, I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to aim for a hundred percent and try to find that gold. But when I fall short of that, I'm going to be happy with it, which is different than a lot of artists. You know, a lot of artists, I I talked to my buddy, Simon, um, as the last one I recorded and we kind of touched on that him and I having collaborated a whole number of times and it's just like, okay, let's go for a hundred percent, but let's, let's be happy when we don't get it and be happy with the the perfectly imperfect thing that we create out of that, that pursuit. And I think that's a lot of artists will, will do a painting 50 times until they get that, you know, what they deem as perfect. And then when it comes out, they're still not happy with it because they right, look back. On right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. something that I've always appreciated about you. But so, I mean, the first thing that you were really, creating and kind of like putting out there was that wine oh i honestly like i was i was like i was really into painting and like oil painting and in high school i like i got head over heels into painting and i was like painting these like giant paintings and i really was like completely um just head over heels into like the depth of a painting so like when you look into it how the light goes into a thing and then bounces and then comes back at you and the layers and the um the glazes uh the glazes were the thing i was like more into than anything and i was um i had this little studio in my in my attic and i was i would paint glazes onto things like every single day for two years and it got super thick and they weren't great. I mean, this was like a pursuit of a, of an idea. I didn't know. And I don't think any of them ended up turning out amazing, but I really got into photography. I got into um, screen printing. We set up a screen printing studio in our apartment. And when I say we, like my wife, Sarah, uh, I met her in high school and I knew within 30 minutes of meeting her that I was going to marry her. And, mm-hmm. and we basically had, been together ever since um, yeah and she, she's an extension of you and you're an extension of her in a way that i've like almost never seen where i could be i feel always like anytime we do something together i i could work with her and it'd be just as seamless and, and still have that same spirit and i and you know i can work with you and know that her spirit is involved in it as well absolutely i mean she's 
she's a, a genius. I don't have other, I don't know what other words to use. Like she's the, uh, she's my forever collaborator and, uh, she's very much more introverted than I am. I'm a very extroverted person. She's a very introverted person. Um, and I knew within 30 minutes, I wanted to spend my life with her. And here we are 21 years later and I still feel that way. So like that hasn't changed. And, and, and like you were saying, it's like, pretty much anything I'm saying is kind of a reflection of a conversation that I've had with her or a thought pattern that I've had with her or, a, um, an idea. And well, as, as a side note, so I'm doing this podcast, um, kind of in collaboration with, and for my buddy, Ethan Lipschitz, who has a podcast called love extremism, love extremist. And he's really, you know, obsessed, maybe the wrong word, but he's really made it his mission to pursue the idea of love and how that, you know, word means different things to different people. And what does it mean? Just as a side note, what, how, how would you define love when it comes to you and your wife? <laughs> Put you on the spot. Put you on the spot. Man. You know, I think about this a lot. And so like, what does love mean to me? And what does love mean to us in our relationship? And it's a, it's just a, to me, it's an ultimate intimacy and like good, bad, ugly, awful, terrible, ecstatic, like all the things like, but intimacy is the word that like bubbles to the top and that it's like, it's like a pyramid. And that word to me is at the top and it is um, kind of like en- encapsules all the things, but I, I have spent more of my life living with Sarah than living by myself or living mm-hmm. with my family. Like, yeah, that's wild. Yeah. We're at a point where we're like, you know, as of last year, it's like, and, and we're not that old and we're not you know, whatever. And it's kind of like a grandma generation thing of like you meet in high school and you get married and blah, blah, blah. But like, it wasn't about that. It wasn't like a thing that we felt like we should do. Like my parents got divorced when I was in high school and I felt like we shouldn't, I was like, I never want to get married. Mm. And, and when I met Sarah within 30 minutes, I told my best friend, like, I want to marry this person. And I didn't, we didn't get married for nine years Mm. because I was scared. Right. But I knew it at that moment. And so like, what is love? What is intimacy? What is, what, what are these things? And it's like, it's a, um, it's a, it's a connect for us. It's a connection that's very different. We are very, very, very different people. I don't mean for this to come across as like we're one mind and one organism and one being like we are different people and every day that makes it interesting. Like, I have very different, like the way I build a fire makes Sarah insane because <laughs> so organized and I'm kind of like free for all about it. And like both of them work. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like you said, she's an introvert. You're an extrovert. Yeah. You, the things that you're interested in are not the same thing she's interested in. 
you guys' hobbies are different. A lot of your friends are different, but then there's all those points where things overlap and that's yeah. what the real beauty is, you know? But your question about like, what is love? Like, I... love is intimacy. Mm, I love that. So wine, I, okay, first of all, let me give you the caveat of the fact that I don't know anything about wine and I don't drink, but what, I mean, is wine part of, would you call that a creative endeavor? Would you say, was your process similar to the other things that you did after and before that? Or, or is that just something completely separate? Phil, it's exactly the same. Okay. And I don't even know why it was interesting to me. Like, I mean, I do drink, I do love wine, I do love beer. Um, I don't drink like a ton. To me, what's interesting is like, is the craft and is the story and is the attention to quality, is the attention to place. Um, it was like all these other things that actually are uh, a spider web or a framework of creativity that actually have nothing to do with wine or alcohol. Like, mm -hmm. like, why do we do things? How do we do things? Where do we do things? What's the story? What's the quantity? Like, and I think that's what I realized early on. Like I just really got into cooking early on and I cooked at this amazing restaurant, uh, in, re in, um, in Raleigh for a while. And then I cooked at Nobu in New York. And, and as I got into cooking and like, just like was a severe student of cooking, um, technique, French technique, Japanese technique, the, the kind of like, uh, connection of those things. I, you know, all the winemakers were coming through trying to sell their wine and the, the chefs were tasting and this and that. And the more I got into that, I was like, Oh, that's what I'm into. I'm mm -hmm. into, into these like things. Right. And so like wine encapsulated it, where you make things, how you make things, why you make things, what's different, what's special, what are the things that like can't be recreated? Um, what are the things that happen in a winery that, that nobody else in the world can do? Like one, one of the questions that you sent me was about like people outside of the world of what I do that really inspire me. There's a guy named Brendan Tracy who I mm -hmm. just visited. He's a winemaker in the Loire Valley in France. He makes like, God knows, I don't know, the tiniest amount of wine in the world. And and he's like a total purist. He and I connected on a level that I've not connected with a human in a very long time. Like he was like, I'm gonna grow these or I'm gonna buy these grapes from people nearby. I'm gonna um make this as purely and honestly and as authentically as I possibly can, and I'm gonna share that with the world. And that's really what winemaking, like when I was making wine, that's what I was thinking about. My wine sucked uh, because the wine, I mean, the grapes in North Carolina were not that great. Um, but that's the philosophy that we applied to denim. Like that's why we have a denim company. I was not insanely ob obsessed with denim at the time. I was obsessed with these, like, with this creative web of questions. And, and, and denim kind of filled that for me at that time. And wine would have filled that for me if I lived in a place where it made sense, but it didn't. And denim did. And that why? Was... Why denim? Well, because I mean... like we we had a, a mill in North Carolina that had been here since 1905, where they literally invented denim production. Like the thread company was here. Um, there was like 
tons of history and and sewing and um it was just all like a lot of building blocks to build from of a thing that like we could produce we could make like the best thing in the world we could make the best thing that we possibly could make we could spend 10 years toiling over one sixteenth of an inch or one thirty second of an inch on a pattern uh, we could design our own fabrics we could work with farmers to grow our own cotton we could we could develop our own shade of indigo um that like what we do in this space in raleigh denim in downtown raleigh is like magisterial in a way is art is is magic that like what we would do with our heads and with our hearts and with our hands is different than what anybody else in the world can do, not better or worse, but that what we mm-hmm. can do is our best. I would argue that it's better, <laughs> better than a lot of other things. But, <laughs> but, 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 the, but the point, the point is though, like it's not a competition. And I, that's one of the things I loved about Den. I mean, about, um, about winemaking was like all the winemakers with the, it came from them. It was a seed in their heart that they built and that they presented to the world. And it wasn't necessarily like the winemakers I love, like their goal wasn't necessarily for like best or worst. It was like purity and honesty and authenticity. And like, here's the thing that I do. And I want to share that with you. It was more like music. It was more like a, um, an artist like singing a song and and it's like oh like here, here's my song like so and how I mean, you, is that just to rewind a little you were saying the is it cone mills is that the big um denim place in north carolina well it was i mean it closed two years well, ago yeah. um, right and they literally filed the patents for denim production um in 1905, like for industrial denim production uh, in Greensboro, which is about 60 miles from here. And they had been making denim there ever since until about two years ago when they closed down. Um, well, that's, where, that's where like every big American brand was getting their denim at one point, right? At some point, yeah. I mean, they were like the the golden handshake between Cone and Levi's. Like it made all the fabric for Levi's for years and years and years and years, like through the seventies. Um, and I mean, since then they've made fabric for about everybody. Um, so they closed that and that was a, a pretty mega bummer. Um, yeah. and, and there's the- nobody making denim anymore in the U S at that scale at all. Right. Well, so here's some news. Um, two months ago I went to Louisiana uh, there's a new mill called Vidalia in Vidalia, Louisiana, that is that bought the looms from the 1930s, and they're making fabric there. Um, you know, who knows how this goes going forward? But like, I was there, I saw it. It's real. It's beautiful, and we will be making jeans from their fabric. That's incredible. I didn't know you had to give me that news. That's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, I mean, that's like fresh news. Yeah, right. I love that. That's fresh good news. That's one thing we need right now. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so, so at that point, you, when you decide, I mean, I know we've had this conversation many times in a whole myriad of different ways, but I know one of the first things you ever said to me was when it came to jeans that 
um, you set out to try to make the perfect pair of jeans. And, you know, you touched on, on your idea of, of perfection and all of that already, but had, I mean, you couldn't make the perfect glass of wine in your opinion and still be able to do it in the path that you wanted to do it where it, you know, there was no good grapes around you. There's no, you know, there's not the right resources, but with denim there is, do you think you would have stuck with wine had you have been born in, you know, Napa or, you know, somewhere in South of France or something? Dude, if I lived in Loire Valley, I would be a winemaker right now without a doubt. Right. I love that. Without a doubt. So like, to me, these creative endeavors, like, like the medium does not define my creativity. Like my creativity came from like asking these questions. And I think that's one of the things that you and I like connect on so deeply is that like, it's not about denim. It's not about paint. It's not about spray paint. It's not about wine. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's like, it's like, how do we make beautiful things out of what we have? And, and then like, how do we get by? And, and like, how do we make it work? Uh, And that's a business proposition different from a creative proposition. But that business proposition is a creative proposition, right? Like, like how do you design a thing that enables you Phil America to like exist for as long as you have making beautiful things. And I love that I can hear the trains in the background, by the way. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I'm there with you. Is it is it bad or is it okay? No, it's incredible. I just it, it takes me back to, to Raleigh right yeah. now. So yeah, I'm, you're, right, you're I'm right beside the train station, sorry. Um, <laughs> but like that. but that like I love the idea of the like taking the critical um creative brain to to the like business side and i think that's really interesting like and that's a place where like you've been successful and we've been successful and um and then i think a lot of people don't don't apply their design brains or their their like actual creative brains to and they could and they should and it's like that's how you that's how you make it (laughs) like you want to do this any good artist from coming from any field will tell you that. I mean, if you want to make a living doing art, it's not as glitzy and glamorous as people think. There's so much actual work that you have to do. You know, functionality aside, whether it's a pair of jeans or whether it's a painting, the process that you have to go through to actually get that out there and make money from it and make a living from it and still be happy with yourself, that path is something that it's, it's a struggle. It's work. It's a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I had a question for you and now I'm wondering if I should ask, cause it may get you into some trouble, but, um, you and I have talked about it before. So you, I'm, I'm curious to whether you give me a, the same answer when we're recording, yeah. but you've kind of, been, you know, you've gotten so much press over the years. I mean, you're in every fucking GQ and you're, you know, you did the, did a blog was on the cover of popular mechanics and you've, you know, dressed a, a million famous people and people and, and not even just dressing them, them buying the jeans organically because they appreciate the ethos of who you are. And one thing that I always see in every piece of press or a lot of the press that I see um, where there's a write up with it, it's all how you're an American brand and you're American and you represent Americanism and things being, you know, American made. And I remember one time I asked you, Hey, well, you know, we had, we had had a conversation about that. And how I was really interested in kind of how, how and why that was important to you. 
And you said, hey, look, if I was if I lived in China, it'd be Chinese made. If I lived in California, it'd be California made. I live in North Carolina. I'm trying to make it North Carolina made. And it wasn't about being American. It was about being local and true to the, you know, the site specificity of the actual work you're creating. Yeah, is that- absolutely. Like <laughs> that has not changed. And I have no other answer. Like I wanted to be close not that I wanted to be close. Like I wanted to make shit. Like I knew that what I put my brain and my heart and my hands into would be singular. Mm-hmm. And that is the word that like I come back to is like, like the winemakers I love, the chefs that I love, the artists that I love, the architects that I love, like what they do is singular. And what we do, like, that's what makes them special, right? It's like, it's like they're doing a thing that nobody else can do. And so, like, the, the way for us to exist in the world of fashion and to do a really singular thing is for us to actually make it or for us to actually, like, design, develop, like, dig in in a way that nobody in the world can or does. And that's what we do. And it's Definitely. like... It's a thousand times more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you can't sum it up in a sentence. But yeah, that's it's like certain... literally a thousand times more work. Right. But the thing that comes out is really special. And I, you know, I, I know that our our garments are not cheap uh, and they're not super expensive, but like we're somewhere in the middle. Like we're at the higher end there. And I would I would almost disagree, though. I mean, when I look at what I'm going to spend on a pair of jeans that I, I don't think a lot of people think about it in this way because of the way fashion and fast fashion has affected people's mentality around um, what they buy in terms of garments. But I mean, if I buy a pair of your jeans, it's going to last me five years minimum. And if I buy a pair of Levi's, it's going to last me who knows how long those things it's going to fall apart. And I think when you look at how many times you can actually wear the pair of jeans, you're actually the, the money you're spending is actually a lot less when it comes to what you guys make. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people find that to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in your shop, in the shop in Raleigh, you have jeans hanging up on the wall for that have been worn every day for how long? Ten, ten years, some of them. I mean, yeah, so- and I can't like, I can't guarantee that for every human, for everything that everyone does, but like we are using the best shit on earth. Right. When it comes to from top to bottom. And one thing that's interesting, too, is that like you and not a lot of people have carried this mentality with them. And I think probably it changed for you over time. But everybody, you know, I come from Sacramento and the first thing I wanted to do was get the hell out, you know, and we always go for something bigger and more. And like, I know you went to New York City, you went to other places, I went to other places. And then like, what was it? that drew you back to going back to Raleigh, especially, I mean, Raleigh is cool now. That is for sure. It is one of my favorite places, but I can only imagine what it was like when you decided to go back after having all of this success and like working at Nobu and all of these things. Yeah. I, I think it's incredibly, unbelievably important to get out of the place that you grew up in period for some amount of time and be that like, Two weeks or two years or 10 years. I don't know. But like 
you got to get out and you got to like, like in, in Australia, they talk about a, a walkabout. Like I think the walkabout is real and is the number one thing I recommend to kids that are in high school. Uh, I say like, get out somewhere, like be your own person, feel your own things, like put your feet on the ground and see where you are. And, you know, for a lot of people, that means going back home. For a lot of people, that means moving to France. For a lot of people, that means going into the Peace Corps, whatever it is. But the point is, like, you get a moment to, like, really just check in with yourself and see where mm -hmm. you want to be, where you want to go, and what you want to do without the pressure of your parents, without the pressure of your siblings, without the pressure of your community. And And so for us, like... We got out like both Sarah and I met in high school and both of us had already committed to move to New York City and we did. And, um, you know, we kind of bounced around. I ended up playing some soccer in Europe and in Central America and whatever. We got to like travel and it was awesome. Uh, we were poor uh, and we weren't necessarily together together all the time. Um, and after seeing some parts of the world, like we looked back at our hometown and we came back for something and we were like, damn, like this place is good. And, and we knew that we had like seeds built inside of our hearts and that we were going to grow. And so then we were thinking like with that knowledge, like, can we grow best in New York? Can we grow best in Paris? Can we grow best in Raleigh? And we looked at that and we said, you know what, like, this is the place where we have support of the community. Rent is cheap. Quality of life is high. Uh, like, we can incubate here. And we knew we needed and wanted that, that, like, that we had something to say, but we hadn't figured it out yet. And it was going to take a little time. And in New York, we never could have had that time. In Paris, right. we never could have had that time. In any other, like, major market. We couldn't have had that time. We could have worked for awesome people, which we had op opportunities to do. But like, but we knew that like, what was inside us was was the thing that we needed to like cultivate. Was and there a desire to want to go back and make Raleigh a better place, or was it more a hundred percent about you guys? No, no, no. It was also that like Raleigh sucked, and or not. No, <laughs> I mean, any, anybody that I've talked to, and you know how much time I've spent there, anybody that I've talked to, whether they know you or whether they don't, they point to you and maybe one or two other things, maybe Cam and maybe Thomas Sayer, the artist, they point to just a couple little points of where that growth started and who planted those seeds and made Raleigh actually cool and a destination. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was like... I mean, that was like a really, really, really beautiful moment. Um, and I don't, I don't have it all figured out, but like we never would have made it without the community here. So like there's a group of like 40 to 60 people that like every single time that we did a thing, they would come, they would show up, they would maybe buy a thing or they would post about it or something. And, you know, when a restaurant or a bar would open up, they were all there and that crew like i'm eternally grateful for like we never would have made it like 
like we we paid our rent by like making a custom dress for for one of these people we uh you know some people bought jeans that like honestly like i'm a little ashamed of and they bought them because they believed in us and they were there to support us and and that doesn't exist in the same way in other places and we are for us it didn't exist in other places like we don't have those connections in new york we don't have those connections in paris or london or wherever the places that we wanted to go that we felt like we should be playing in and and here we did and it was enough like literally enough at the lowest level like dollar for dollar we barely paid our rent for years i mean we lived in the shittiest smallest garbage apartment in raleigh <laughs> like and we ate off of 20 dollars a week or something i mean it was like like we really like went for it and we knew that at that time in our lives we could that like not you know people kept saying like you have nothing to lose and i was like fuck that like we have everything to lose like like if we don't go for it now we'll never do it mm -hmm. like so we were like 26 27 at that time and it was like we didn't own I mean, our cars were like basically worthless. We didn't own a house. We didn't have kids. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. And it was like, like if we don't go for it right now, we'll never go for it. Like in five years, we'll own a house or we'll own a car or we'll have kids or we'll have something. And like, and we'll never go for it then because we'll have more to lose. Definitely. So, so like at that time, it was like, I remember thinking vi vividly, like, like we have everything to lose. Let's go for it. And if we don't, I'll regret this for the rest of my life. For better or for worse, like we were blind and we hadn't run companies and we hadn't been a manufacturer and we, it was hard. It's been unbelievably hard. So I don't mean to blow smoke up in anybody's ass, but like, but they're like the times when people say like, you have nothing to lose. Like my flip on that is you have everything to lose. Oh, you have everything to lose. You have a, you have a factory and a store in downtown Raleigh, the fastest growing city in the country. And stuff well, now, is now, all the world. Now, now we do. Now we do. Yeah. But, but that I mean, time, even then, you have your reputation, your name. But think 12 years ago, like 2008. Yeah, like, right. I mean, even then, you had it then. And you wouldn't be where you are now had you not have had that same drive and appreciation for you for who you are and what you represent then as well right yeah yeah i i think like like the thing when i when i say you don't have we have everything to lose especially for people that are thinking about things like this it's like you have your entire future to lose and mm -hmm. so maybe you don't have like so at that time when we were 26 27 like we we literally like our 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 um our net worth was zero or negative. Mm -hmm. So like we didn't, we didn't have anything to lose at that time uh, financially or like we didn't have a house, kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we had, what we had to lose was our future. And if you don't go for these things, sometimes you lose everything. And so when people say you don't have anything to lose, like, at that point in my life, when I quote, had nothing to lose, like, I felt like I had everything to lose. I felt like I had a lifetime to lose. And that if we didn't go for it, we were fucked. 
Like mm. it would never do it. And I would regret that for the rest of my life. And that we get these moments in life where it's like there's an opening and and we can go for it. And if we want to go for it, let's go for it. And if we had lost everything at that point, we wouldn't have lost a lot because we didn't have a lot. And I would have lived the rest of my life feeling like I know we went for it and we did our best and we didn't make it and we're okay. Mm-hmm. And and that happens a lot. And that's cool. And that's okay. Uh, but like, had I not gone for it, I would regret it to this day. I wouldn't sleep tonight. I would be like, fuck, I wish we had tried it. Yeah, it's the old Wayne Gretzky quote that they always put on Michael Jordan is the, uh, you miss all the shots you don't take, right? Exactly. No, it's that. It's that, it's but that. like, but like at a, at a visceral level, like, I, I don't know. I felt that like, like in my core, I felt that in my spine, I felt that it like in my gut, I felt that in my heart, I felt it in my head, I felt it in my hands in a way that like, I couldn't deny it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to try this. And everyone thought we were stupid. They were like, they were like, oh, all the manufacturing's gone overseas. I mean, you're you're insane. You're gonna you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. And I mean, fair for them for thinking that, but like, but you were also okay with failing as long as you tried. And I think that that's you know that's the spirit of you is like, well, I'm I'm happy with the process and the road to get there, not the not the destination at the end of the day, anyways. So. Right. Well, I mean. You know, part of that too is like a bit of like, uh, I don't know what the right words are without sounding like an asshole. Like I am confident that like if I lived like during the depression that my design brain and my business brain, like I would sell churros on the street for 25 cents and I'd get by. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm confident that like, even if I completely fail, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of people in the world, like a lot of our friends, a lot of the people that we know, a lot of the people that maybe would listen, you know, are listening. It's like, it's like, you're really a smart person and you really could do anything. And mm-hmm. if you go for this one and it doesn't work, like you're going to be fine. Right. And that what you learned along that path of trying to do this thing is going to influence the next thing. And so maybe you fail at this thing to become the uh, great violinist, but the, what you learned in that path and that pursuit, you're going to apply to becoming a great painter or a great chef or whatever it is that you decide to do next, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and the, the failures like only make you better. And people are scared of that. And I'm like, I, I just dive in. I'm sorry to cut you off. What were you saying? Oh no, I was just saying like that people are scared of that and, and they're like, just jump in. It's okay. Like you're going to be fine. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I actually, I did an interview recently and it hasn't come out yet and I was going to wait till it came out and just send it to you. But that's the, the interview was, was with a art publication and they asked me, Hey, well, what's, what's your favorite thing that you've made? And so I said, Hey, are you talking about what my favorite outcome of what I made is like the, the end part, or is it more about what I was making and the making that I uh, loved? And so 
they were like, okay, the woman interviewed me was like, well, I want to know process. What, what process did you really love to make rather than what you put out there? And I was like, hey, it's, it's, I would have to say that my favorite thing and my favorite time was making a pair of jeans with you where we had made some stuff up into that point and you know, you, we would go into the factory when it's shut down and just make and just sometimes it'd be good, sometimes it'd be bad, but we'd, we'd make something and it was always wonderful. And I was like, I want to make a pair of jeans. And you were like, do you really want to make a pair of jeans? Because that's normally a lot of people working on one thing. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And we started and we finished and we made a pair of jeans. And it was absolutely one of my favorite times and things that I've made ever. And so I kind of want to know, I mean, I know because I've actually done it with you, um, albeit you probably did 99% of the work, but for somebody that doesn't know what goes into making a pair of jeans from start to finish, when you walk in or when all of your employees walk into the factory, how can you walk me through step-by-step, like what start to finish a pair of Raleigh denim jeans goes through? Yeah. I mean, just cliff notes, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a roll yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember that day I mean, first, like, <laughs> thank you for saying that. Uh, I remember that night uh, so vividly and it, it was like, uh, I felt like it was like a really amazing connection point where it was like, oh, you really want to see like deep into the soul of this thing? Like, okay, let's go. And I put you to work and like, I don't think we finished until like three in the morning or something. Like it was was a crazy late night and, and we kind of took our time and because you were interested and wanted to see all the parts, but like, you know, for us, it's, it's like, like we're not trying to make the fastest thing. Mm -hmm. We're trying to make the most beautiful thing. We're trying to make the best thing that we can make. And so, you know, in, in like gene production land, they can make genes in 10 minutes, uh, on average of, of actual like production time. Uh, And for us, it takes like, usually, I mean, our best, best, best we've ever done is like two and a half hours. So that's like, what is that? Like 20 times longer. And it's not to me working on a pair of jeans. I mean, anywhere from like 10 to 20 people. Um, But that's not not making one pair from beginning to end. That's making like 500 pairs, which for us is a very big run. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, on average, 500 pairs would take us two and a half hours per pair. So like, you know, when you and I sat down to make a pair, it took us like six hours. Um, Right. And that's me who is like, I'm very good at making jeans and you know, maybe I could do it in four. Um, But the point is like, we're trying to make the most beautiful thing. And we're trying to make the best thing that we can make, like, like the winemaker who's trying to produce like, you know, it's, it's quality over quantity where it's like, they've only got so many grapes and they're trying to, to produce the most beautiful thing they can make. Um, Or, or a musician that's like sitting in the studio thinking like, okay, well, I got all my ideas. I got all my time, but like, what am I actually going to put out? It's not about volume, uh, you know, in like in in quantity volume. It's about like, like, what do I actually want to present to the world? And every single person that works at Rally Denim thinks about that from beginning to end. And Mm -hmm. Chris Ellsberg, our pattern maker, she's like 87 years old now. Um, 
and these are patterns that are being designed and cut by hand, which is yeah, not yeah, what yeah. It yeah. So she and I have been developing these patterns for twelve years. We hand cut, and it's just like all based off of every single machine in our factory that I built or rebuilt or re. Um, condition for exactly a certain detail that I want in the jeans. And then as we make them over the years, we circle back and we check the fits, we check the details, we check the measurements, we adjust based on the folder that we have, based on the way that we're sewing things, based on the, like we have a, a feedback cycle that I don't think any denim brand in the world has. Like, right. like our design cycle has been 10 years. Wow. Our design cycle is not like, oh, here's a the kind of color of stitch or here's the kind of fabric that I want or copy this Levi's jean pattern, blah, blah, blah. Like, which honestly is what a lot of brands do. Uh, like ours is detailed to the 16th or 32nd of an inch. Mm -hmm. And ours is a, a dedication to craft. And ours is a dedication to quality in a way that will never end for me. And right. like I, what I want our brand to represent is, uh, um, is a confidence in that dedication. Like right. one day people will think like, I don't need to worry about my Gucci loafer because I know that Gucci is making this loafer and it's the best loafer on earth. Like I want people to think that about our jeans. Um, so there is people that aren't thinking that. I mean, how many people make the pilgrimage to Raleigh to be able to buy it from the store and straight off out of the factory as opposed to at you know yeah. Nordstrom's or wherever you get it locally? I mean, just like a month ago, we had a guy that came here from Japan and he bought 35 pairs. Like He came to Raleigh from Japan to buy jeans from us. Like yeah. this happens. Um, but your question was about like, what's the process? And, and so the process starts with the pattern making. And that really starts uh, like three or four years ago in making jeans for myself, learning the machines, building the machines. Uh, every um, uh, every process, every folder, every seam allowance. Um, I mean, you think about like a, the waistband of a jean has eight seams on it. And if every seam has a 32nd of an inch variation on it, that's two pieces. So each seam is actually uh, an eighth of an inch variation. So eight seams could be up to an inch difference if when you're sewing, you're off by a 32nd of an inch. A 32nd of an inch is like the width of your fingernail. It's like the mm -hmm. width of a needle. So if you're off by the width of a needle, eight times, all of a sudden your gene that was a size 32 is now a size 33 or a size wow. 30. And so the precision right. is like, it's profound. And, and we take that seriously. Um, so that starts in the pattern room. It takes many years to make hundreds of patterns, hundreds of fits, hundreds of testing samples, blah, 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 specs. Okay. So let's just say we're starting from there. Okay, we take the pattern out, we lay the fabric on the um, on the tables, uh, we let it sit overnight. Uh, it's where we put like a giant roll of 300 yards of fabric onto 
uh, a pole and we roll it back and forth across a 40 foot table slowly um, to let the fabric rest. And then we will draw the patterns on a piece of paper like uh, and kind of play Tetris to um, fit the pattern pieces as closely as we can together um, to get the best fabric usage. We'll lay that fabric, I mean that paper on top of the fabric and then we cut it with a jigsaw and the jigsaw has a 10 inch razor blade. Um, and that thing is crazy by the way. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. like kind of mesh glove that looks like it's straight out of the medieval ages. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a 10 inch razor blade jigsaw that like would cut your finger off in one second um, right. or less. And, and you just kind of, it's kind of like woodworking um, where you like would be using a jigsaw to cut out wood. Like this is like the jigsaw with a razor blade to cut out fabric. And we cut up to about 50 layers at a time. Um, and once everything's cut, it goes into the workshop. And our workshop is like, I, I, I struggle to call it like a workshop or a factory. Um, to me, like the factories that I've seen are where like a person sits and does like 10,000 things a day, the exact same thing over and over. And our, our workshop is not that. And that's why I call it a workshop where we're, we're doing five different things a day and everyone knows how to make a gene basically from beginning to end. Um, and everyone knows like that we're working to make, like we're making Ferraris. Like when I teach mm -hmm. people, I'm like, we're making the best shit on earth. Like if it doesn't look like a Ferrari, if it doesn't smell like a Ferrari, if it doesn't taste like a Ferrari, if it doesn't like make your gut curdle like a Ferrari, it's not right. And and so there's no like Toyota method or this or that method or like manufacturing method. It's like, let's make the best thing on earth and let's make the best thing that we possibly can make. And every single person sitting at every single machine thinks that and does that. Right. Um, so and one thing through. I love too, you've done a good job of like supporting the immigrant community in Raleigh, done a good job of being sure to pay everybody fair wages and treat everybody with the same level of respect that you would treat a family member. And that's something that, you know, you see right when you, when you come in and talk with the folks that, that you work with. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about the machines? Cause that's something that I'm fascinated by is that these machines that you have are ones that were made. What is it? A lot of them are what world war two era. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, so in the beginning, like we had, zero dollars like sarah and i were like as poor as people can be and i just started i was like oh well people had been using these things like they work are they the best cheapest fastest no but they work and so i started buying old machines from like the 1920s 30s 40s 50s 60s um and, and these were old Levi's machines or where are you getting these yeah just from factories that had closed so it wasn't all levi's it was like you know, JC Penny or like uh, Calvin Klein or whatever. But these are like, things that were like made, built to last, made well, made during like probably the most important time in American history in terms of making and manufacturing. And then also they were producing some of the, the best stuff America's made versus, you know, obviously things made now in some shitty factory in China that falls apart in a week are being made with different machines. So it was purposeful, those machines. I mean, or at least now it's pur purposeful why you continue to use those machines, right? Absolutely. I mean, so 
like I was buying a lot of these because it was all I could afford. And then I started digging into like, like the repair of them because I needed to. And, and I had this like very, like, I, I remember this, like this very strange feeling that was like an ominous, like ghostly ancestral, like almost like, I don't know, like in Indian, like f closeness to these things where it was like, like my, the people of my grandparents' generation had spent insane, like the more I got into it, I could understand what it took to build these things and that they had spent so much time making them so beautifully. Um, and that like, it really was the American, like it, it was like the golden age of manufacturing in America where like what they did and the things they built like helped build America to be what it is now for better or for worse, whatever you want to call it. But they're like, they were so well built that I now can rebuild these things to use as tools to make jeans with that same philosophy. So it was like a snaky tail kind of thing um, where like what we want to do right now is what they were doing in the thirties, forties and fifties and what they did. And because they did it, we can use those things as our tools to do it again. And that was just mind-blowingly like profound. Yeah, no, it's crazy that it started out of necessity and like only be what you you're working with what you could afford. And then now you now it's like you're continuing to do it because you realize that was the best way to do it. And yeah. So, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, I feel like you and I could talk forever and I'll let you go in a minute, but I did, uh, there was a couple questions that I had in my head that I definitely wanted to ask you. So maybe I'll just rattle them off. Yeah, and sure. the first couple were actually from two different people that I had on the podcast before. And, uh, the first one is from MK Sadler, who's absolutely incredible photographer. And she asked me to ask you what makes the perfect pair of jeans and so like mm. if you had to answer that question in a sentence what what would it be mm. i mean it's tough because obviously perfect is a word that means something different to everybody and you know if, if i try to make the perfect pair of jeans versus you versus levi's i mean all those people are making something different and the things that they put weight on is different whether that's the fabric or whether yeah, that's yeah, yeah. like for <laughs> you the perfect pair of jeans i guess I mean, if I can put myself like in any human skin, it's like, and that's what I do like for a living is to think about like actual human skin and muscles and bones and, and the connection and the way they present themselves to the world. And like, it, it goes so much deeper than like a fashion brand. It's like, I, I think about bones, um, the, um, the perfect pair for any human really is a thing that gives them confidence. Mm. Um, the, the, the reason I started making jeans in particular is that like I wear jeans and, and my, like, if you look on the inside of our jeans, like most of them have like a screen print of like bones that match up uh, anatomically to your body. And, and my, my thinking was like, my interest in fashion was that I wanted a thing that would allow me to be more confident on days that I felt down. Right. So when I woke up in the morning, 
and I wasn't feeling like my best, that I could put on this thing and feel badass and be like, okay, let's go. Whatever today is, I got it. Let's go. That's what attracts me to fashion is just how it becomes an extension of our own confidence and conscience. And it's, yeah, that's definitely of the the jeans you make where it's not, it's not an afterthought. It's not just something that you wear every day, like a white t-shirt or a pair of jeans that means nothing. It actually means everything. And that's something that's really beautiful. Um, And and the perfect pair isn't necessarily like of a certain fabric or made a certain place or a thing. It's a connection that you have to it. So like whatever, whatever pair that you wake up in the morning and you put on, it could be like a $12 pair of jeans. It could be a $1,200 pair of jeans. It doesn't matter. But the point is like when you put them on, like you're ready and you're like, world, let's go. And I hope that we do that a lot of times for a lot of people, but like the perfect pair for everybody is different. Yeah. So my next question is from Aaron, who you obviously know and who we've collaborated with multiple times, both together and separately. Um, He, for those who haven't listened to that episode, he's a uh, music producer, incredible songwriter, multifaceted, multi-hyphenate like yourself. And so he wants to know, um, where do you draw your inspiration for, from, for work outside of Raleigh denim? And why is it Aaron? Why is it him? <laughs> yeah. Like, what what I was going to say, like, it, it totally awesome. is him. Like, in a way it is, you know, he's like no, your muse in, in a lot of ways for Raleigh. He Denham. is. He is a muse for me. Like that dude, like he, like, like, so this kind of idea I was talking about earlier about like, what are the questions of creativity that revolve around a medium. So like around his medium is music around my medium is clothing. But like at some point in time for me, it was wine. At some point in time, it was uh, um, food. At some point in time, it was photography. At some point in time, it was painting. And, and what I love about Aaron is that, and the reason he is one of my biggest muses is that like he's, he's game and and he wants to try. He wants to push. He wants to, he's like, dude, fuck yeah, let's go. He's like, oh yeah. You know, you, you show him like a fabric that no man on earth would wear. And he's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And he's like, let's make a poncho out of it. I'm ready to go. Yeah. It's, it's emphatic. It's not like, yeah. a, he's not critical. He, um, he's like, let's see what happens. And he yeah. encourages that. And, and, like that's what you know life is so short and there's so much criticism and there's so much like there's so much that can like kind of push you down mm-hmm. and i just want to spend my time with people that are like like fuck yeah like let's yeah. give it a try let's see what we learn it might suck who cares like how many times have you and i like poured paint onto things or poured bleach onto things or thrown some what whatever like we've just like done like whatever comes to mind and like how much of it is good one percent two percent five percent ten percent who knows it's not a lot right but every day we come back the next day and we learn and we're like and we're like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. there's something here okay let's let's build from that and we actually create like the fire of creativity like that's where it comes from and Definitely. Well, so, you know, that's something that 
I'm fascinated by, you know, both with you and in general is, is that overlap of all of those other things. Like, like you said, you're working, you're creating garments, you're, you're working in fashion, you're making clothes, and yet you're surrounding yourself, not by some other person who makes jeans. Like, obviously you have friends in the industry and I've met some of them with you in other cities, but like you, when I come to Raleigh, you're there with the best artist. You're there with the the director of the contemporary art museum. You're there with the musicians. Like you're taking me to see music shows. You are, you're surrounded by a creative community who all of whom are not necessarily doing the same things as you, but have the same spirit. And so like all, maybe we can just end it on this question. What, who are a few people and why um, that you're really inspired by, not from the whole world. Cause I know you could, you could name a million people who have had influence on you, but let's say like, who, who are people that you're inspired by from Raleigh? If you don't say him, I'm going to be mad. Who? <laughs> Tim. I love that he said who. Your brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. He was the first person that came to mind. I mean, Good. God, I feel like in like 50 years, people, I hope, I don't know, but my gut feeling is that people will look back at Raleigh and say, oh, my God, that was like an incubator for creativity because I feel it right now. And mm-hmm. my brother and I were only like a year apart in age, uh, but, and we kind of like, attack the world with a similar mindset, but from very different angles. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he has, he's an artist and he's a painter, he's a photographer. He, I mean, he's got this giant piece of 60 feet tall across the street from me here. Um, yeah, he's successful. He's, sure. he's amazing. And his name's Tim Lipinenko. Uh, his work is, is profound and it's incredibly inspiring. Um, so just from like a like a, a two-dimensional artist perspective, he's one of my biggest influences and one of the people that inspires me most. Like every single day he goes into his studio and he's making things that push himself. And that's what I love about him. Um, you know, from other, other worlds, it's uh, like um, Peter Oakley is an artist that I'm just unbelievably profoundly uh inspired by he is a um a marble sculptor uh in western north carolina and he's been sculpting modern objects telephones um oh i've seen this i saw it at ncma actually yeah like a gun um he did a styrofoam a stack of styrofoam containers yeah that's what that's in the permanent collection of ncma yeah it's just bonkers like and he's just a dude that like lives out in the middle of nowhere and carves marble (laughs) bonkers and then like on the opposite end of that like our friend uh ashley christensen is like she won best chef in america last year like she opened god knows i don't know four or five six restaurants in raleigh um and you know we started our companies at almost the exact same time um she had, I mean, hundreds of employees and, and was really like sharing the joy of food, uh, and of connection and conversation and, um, atmosphere with, with so many people and, and, and creating community in Raleigh in a way that, you know, we never could. Um, I mean, she's, uh, an incredible inspiration for us. 
You know, so it's like it's painters, it's photographers, it's artists, it's chefs, it's uh, I mean ar- architects. My God, uh, we worked with Shohei Shigematsu of OMA, uh, Rem Coolhouse's firm, on our store in New York. Like that dude is just like one of the, the most open-minded, brilliant thinkers I've ever come in contact with. Um, what about what about Thomas? Oh my Thomas. God, Thomas Sayer. Jesus Christ, that guy. So the artwork I have hanging in my room, like painted my entire room just around the idea of hanging this work that he he so graciously gave to me. Yeah, you guys have actually collaborated on some things that you have in the works. And what what was that collaboration like? Coming from such different perspectives artistically, but then coming also from the same place physically. Yeah, I. I just looked out the window and I can see Thomas's studio from where I'm sitting like across the street. Um, and Phil, a profound and forever thank you for really forcing us to spend some time together. Um, Thomas Ayer is uh, a public artist based in Raleigh. And I, our connection, my, my connection with him is really about these questions that are like outside of the bounds of a medium. So, um, I mean, he's interested in the detail, the minutia of like how a thing looks, how it hangs, how it falls, how it grows, how it hardens, how it, uh, evolves over time. And, you know, Phil, after you were here, I don't know, three, four years ago, like you kind of forced us to hang out. And, and like the very first second I met Thomas, I was like, we are going to be friends for a very long time. And, and ever since then we've been making things not for any purpose like other than to hang out like so he was like one day he was like oh man a lot of his work is in concrete he's like hey victor let's uh pour some concrete into jeans and we started doing that and then we started making different forms out of denim and then he started welding uh metal forms that we put denim uh kind of like bags or sacks into that we would then fill with concrete and then we started stacking them like a a rock cairn um and we've been commissioned to to build three of these in dorothea dix park uh which is the biggest uh city park in north carolina um and he he is he's really like when i think about like a soulmate like I don't like say that or use that those words lightly, but like the way that he views the world feels similar. Right. Like, I, I feel well, like we are on the same wave. Like we are, we are asking similar questions. We're digging in in the same way and we want to connect and share in a similar way. And, you know, obviously it's very different, but like Thomas Sayer is, uh, he's a, a really special artist and a really amazing human. Yeah. He, and he's got public artworks all over the world and somebody who is so insanely um, successful in his own right, much like yourself and Raleigh Denham. And yet he's literally across the street from you making stuff in Raleigh. And that just, just brings it all home for me. And, you know, he, dude, I, I texted him today and he's just like, Oh, I'm in art land. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> I love that. He's in his zone. You know, we yeah. all get to- all right, brother. Well, I appreciate you so much, and we can we can leave it at that. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon, man. 
All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Love you and talk soon. Bye. Love you too. See ya. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Creativity on Love Extremist Radio. Find Phil America on Instagram at Phil, P-H-I-L, America. And if you dig this podcast, please write an honest review on iTunes and share it with your community. Every share goes a long way in supporting this project. I want to give a special thanks to Aaron Kanata for producing our theme music. And if you're curious to learn what being a love extremist is all about, check it out at www.extremist.love. Have a great day. Before every interview, I give a little introduction, and today I want to do it a little bit different. Victor is somebody who is not only a very close friend of mine, but somebody who every time we talk, I'm inspired. And that goes without saying for a lot of the other people I've had on this show, but I do want to really think and put emphasis on the fact that everything this man says has changed the way I approach creativity. Victor and his wife Sarah started Raleigh Denim Workshop back in 2017 in their hometown of Raleigh Denim. And mind you, this is after them living all over the world and country and focusing on a whole bunch of different things and then finally deciding to go back home and work on creating the best gene they could. They were inducted in the CFDA, Council of Fashion Designers of America, in 2013. And the husband and wife duo learned the techniques of traditional American gene making through seeking out a series of informal apprenticeships with factory workers, pattern makers, mechanics, artists, and everything in between throughout their state. Raleigh Denim Workshop, their brand, continues to produce high quality design, extremely well made pairs of jeans that I'm like butcher trying to explain because he is focused on making the best pair of jeans you can make and that's how he approaches making anything. He's had his jeans featured in everything from GQ to the New York Times to Vogue to Wallpaper Magazine and they're sold at high-end boutiques all across the world. He's collaborated with OMA, Patagonia, Kate Spade, and a million other people. You've seen him at Art Balls in Miami. You've seen him you know, at different pop-ups around the country. And he's currently also designing upholstery and furniture with Bernhardt Design for literally over a decade. So I'm excited to talk to him about how all those things fit together and about his process. Let's get into it. <laughs>